From 9 News in Denver, Colorado, this is Blame, an ongoing investigation into a mother's death, her husband's secrets, and the lax police work that put Blame squarely on the shoulders of their six-year-old son. Was the shooting of Jill Wells really an accident? Join 9 Wants to Know in our pursuit to discover, is someone else to blame? A gunshot echoes across a windswept prairie. A young mother dead. Knowing everything that we know now. An investigation over before it began. I feel like I failed him too. Got feelings. Oh man, if I just would have known this a long time ago. There was a lot of red flags. And an unanswered question. The preponderance of evidence. I would have done something about this. This really points to a homicide. Was a six-year-old really to blame? At this point, we've talked in broad terms about the death of Jill Wells and the official version of events. That her six-year-old son accidentally shot her in the head during a family outing. We've looked over the two-page report and discussed the investigation that was basically over in less than 24 hours. We visited the community where Jill lived and where she is buried and talked about the suspicions of numerous people. That her death may not have been the accident that was reported. You've seen the original report. You've seen mm-hmm. the original stuff. I will say we didn't have a lot. But to fully understand this case, we need to go back to the day Jill Wells died. There were so many problems with this investigation. No written witness statements, no autopsy, little in the way of notes from officers at the scene. One thing that does exist is a series of recordings. We'll start at 1.48 p.m. on March 28, 2001. That's the moment Mike Wells called for help. Can you please help me? What's wrong? I'm just accidentally shot my wife. Oh, now hang on. Hang on here with me, okay? Just do something. Get some help for me. I got two little boys in the house. Please. Okay, I will help you. But you hang on. Can you hang on with me? Yes. Okay. Hurry. Is, is she still alive, sir? I don't know. I just grabbed my son and ran in the house. Okay, now just a minute. I'm going to let you talk to an officer, we're going to get you help. Sure. Okay, you are at 25281 County Road 24? Ma'am, I'm north of 94. North. Mile and a half. North. Left hand side. Get somebody on the way, please. Okay, now just, just hang with me, Mark. I've got to get this down. Work, huh? My name is Mike. Mike? Okay, what is your whole name? It's Mike Wells, W E L L S. Okay, and you live at 25281 County Road, what? I got to get back out there. Okay, hang on. Hang on. Where are you at, sir? I'm on the Williams Ranch, a mile and a half, mile north on 94. At the Williams Ranch, you, you go to Punch Center and go east or west, about three miles. Okay, and then you go north? Yes, first house on the west. Tell me what happened. My wife and, and my son and I were out target shooting, and he turned the gun and it went off and it shot it. I don't even want to hit it, but get somebody down here, please. Okay, okay, we'll be there. Thank you. On that call, you heard Mike Wells, of course. You heard Berta Taylor, the dispatcher who answered the phone. 
And you heard then under Sheriff Alan Yowell, who came onto the line a little more than a minute and 20 seconds into the call, and who was the primary investigator in the case. It is difficult to understand everything that was said on that call. For instance, it's impossible, no matter how hard you listen, to tell the first words Mike Wells said after the dispatcher asked him, what's wrong? What's wrong? That 911 call is the beginning of the case. What Mike Wells said formed the first understanding of what happened for Under Sheriff Yowell and his father, then Lincoln County Sheriff Leroy Yowell. 23 minutes after that call came in, the undersheriff and the sheriff arrived at the Williams Ranch with an ambulance right behind them. In addition to the 911 call, the original case file includes four other recordings, two of them dictations from undersheriff Yowell and two of them interviews. Nobody documented what time each of those recordings was made, so we're left to guess here. However, it appears the first recording was this. Under Sheriff Yowell dictating details about the incident for about two and a half minutes. Wednesday, 1328. Um, received a 911 call from a residence north of 94 on January 24th. Spoke with a gentleman on the phone from the office. He stated that his son turned with a gun and it discharged and it struck his wife. Uh, he was pretty shook up. Um, after Giving him back over to the dispatchers and myself and Sheriff getting it out was able to determine that um, there was a 22 rifle and that he didn't believe she was breathing or conscious and couldn't find a pulse. Um, call came in at 1348 and I believe it was 1411. I was the first one to go when we arrived. She was laying on a piece of styrofoam in the back of the residence. Her left hand and index finger were in the trigger of a rifle with a scope. Um, had a bloody basis in what appears right in or near the right earlobe. Um, fell for a carotid pulse. Michelle Leonard, the Colonel Ambulance was called and they arrived at virtually the same time I did. Michelle tried for a brachial pulse and got nothing. Um, we removed her finger from the trigger of the weapon in case it was loaded and rolled her slightly to take a better look. There was definitely um, nothing that could be done at that point. And basically at 1411 I pronounced her dead. Um, Further inspection of the area in that surface, um, there's a 22 lever action rifle laying approximately eight to nine feet to the north of the weapon that this woman had her finger in that appears that it might have been dropped. Um, theory at this point without further interviews is that the boy turned four lifted also one boy's two and a half and one seven. Back of the pickup is a Ruger 22-45 pistol with the clip that was in the box. Serial number is 220-12018. I have to be honest, I'm speculating a little bit here. But I think that recording was the first one of those made by Under Sheriff Yall, and here's why. His reference to his theory at this point without further interviews 
makes me think he uttered those words before he talked to Mike Wells or to Tanner. I could be wrong, but without anything documenting the time, I'm left to make an educated guess. It's not normally that way. Police reports are often littered with times. Listen to any police radio in America, and you routinely hear the time called out for each step officers take. It's a tried and true staple of American police work. But it didn't happen here, and it didn't happen on these next two recordings. The first with Mike Wells, the second with Tanner. I was just watching him in the line and I went to get his gun to load it. He shaved his shoe from mine and then when I came back he, he has a hard time to lever it and when he levered it and pulled it up, it just went it went off. And there was right-handed. He shoots right-handed. I just grabbed him and what 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 house? Obviously, that recording is confusing. As it exists, it lasts less than one minute. There are a number of places where it's impossible to tell what is said. Like so many things in this case, these tapes have limited value in trying to determine whether things were as they were reported. Next, the undersheriff spoke with Tanner in the presence of his father, whose voice you hear early on. A warning. There are some questions asked of Tanner that did not lead to any response captured on the recording. Maybe he nodded his head, but there's no way to know that either. Hey, why down here today? Okay, why? Because my mom. And what were you guys doing when your mom bumped her head? Targets? Where were you shooting? Did you have a gun in your hand? Where were you standing, Tanner? Outside. From where your mom bumped her head, where were you standing? How far away from her, right? Now, was your mom standing up? What was she doing? She was laying down. Okay. Um, what kind of gun were you shooting? Um, a rifle. Kind of a rifle? Um, what do you mean by loading it? How did, how did you, how did you load it, Tanner? Um, what did you do with that gun? There's another little rifle laying on the tailgate of the pickup. Was it just laying there? Yeah, that's it. Is there anything else that I haven't asked? Mm. How many times have you shot that rifle with the lever? Um. A lot of times, or just a few times, or? Kind of a lot. Kind of a lot? Wow, where do I begin? That is difficult to listen to. I think about the fact that little boy was questioned about the death of his mother, even though he may not have understood at that point that she was gone. There's also the troubling realization that entire interview lasts one minute, 31 seconds. And there's this reality. 
Interviewing a child is so much different than talking to an adult. There's a generally accepted way of handling interviews like this. It wasn't followed here. After talking with Tanner, Under Sheriff Yowl apparently made another recording. Again, he's dictating details about the incident. Again, we don't know what time this was done. And we don't know with certainty who the second voice is, although it seems to be the Under Sheriff's father, then Sheriff Leroy Yowl. The scene Fatality was holding in our hands when we got there is a Marlin model 782-22 with a groove barrel. Serial number is 1470-5315 with um, Simmons, looks like 3x9 power scope on the weapon that was found approximately eight foot from the fatal is it's a 22 caliber, 22 short lever action. Serial number is 0114 either Mary or Nora Young 126. Again, that's 01. One, four, three, Mary or Nora, Young, one, two, six. And the rifle weighing on the tailgate of the pickup is, it shows Keystone Sporting, and it shows Milton PA, Serial number 7679. See uh, what you can see on the barrel. I need my glasses. Keystone Sporting Goods Incorporated. Known as a chipmunk. And serial number is 7679. Okay. This is a pistol that was in the plastic box laying in the bed of the pickup or on the tailgate. It's a Ruger 22-45. Stainless steel. There's a serial number of 220-12018. Has a clip in the plastic carrying case with one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten rounds in the clip. There is one other piece of documentary evidence generated that day. A page of notebook paper containing under Sheriff Yowell's handwritten observations and thoughts. I've stressed this before, but I'll do it again. Those kinds of notes are routine for police investigators. It's common for them to record the times that things happen, the comings and goings at the scene, the details of interviews or other investigative steps, like taking measurements. Here's what Under Sheriff Yowell wrote down. 1348, control intercommed and said, get up here. Berta handed me the 911 phone and said, it's about a shooting. Mail stated, please hurry. I said, where are you at? 
the Williams Ranch, three miles east, west, east of Pumpkin Center. I said, what happened? My son accidentally shot her. Lincoln One and I arrived at 1411, and at the same time I pronounced her DOA. DDA Sylvester, Don Bender, KVR Patrick L., Michelle L., Bob and Connie Webb, Carlos L., Juliet VA. Case number 118IR01, home 1800. And that was it. So here are some details from those notes. The call came in at 1.48 p.m. Berta was the dispatcher who answered the phone. Lincoln One was the sheriff, Leroy Yowell. The names of all those people were the district attorney, the coroner, the medics, and the victim's advocates who responded to the scene. Finally, the undersheriff arrived back home at 1800 hours, 6 p.m. There's nothing in any of that to suggest that either the undersheriff or the sheriff was skeptical of anything Mike Wells told them, or even that they took any steps to delve deeper into the sudden, unexpected death of Jill Wells. Others who were there that day had different reactions. I talked to several of them recently, and they shared their recollections of what they saw and felt 15 years ago, and the suspicions that took hold almost immediately. Hi, I was trying to reach Michelle. This is her. Hey, I am um, looking into a uh, incident that happened a number of years ago near Pumpkin Center. Uh-huh. Uh, it was a shooting death, and I'm wondering if you used to be or maybe still are an EMT. I w- was. I'm retired EMT. Oh, okay. I was at that time. Okay. So this was a, I don't know if this will ring a bell with you, this was a case uh, in which a uh, young boy uh, reportedly accidentally fired a rifle and hit his mother, hit her in the head and killed her. Yes. Do you remember that case? Yes. Michael. Yeah, Mike Wells was the... Yes. I remember that. I was there. There were a lot of questions about about what really happened that day. I always thought so too, but what can you say? Once Mike dialed 911, first responders from all over Lincoln County raced to the rented ranch just east of Pumpkin Center. Michelle Leonard was on the first ambulance. Not far behind was another ambulance carrying Connie Webb and her husband Bob. Recently, they talked about their memories and observations about that day 15 years ago. I sort of wanted to just check with you and see if, like at the time, if you thought that anything looked amiss or suspicious or anything like that? Not at the time. The little boy was in the house that supposedly had shot him. Uh-huh. And supposedly he didn't realize what he had done is what we were told. Yeah. He didn't realize he shot his mother is what his dad told us. Right. We all talked about it ourselves. We all thought, well, what a perfect place to commit murder in Lincoln County. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody investigated it. We're like... Yeah. It didn't feel like nobody ever come out and investigated it. They just acted like it was an accidental shooting back then. And yeah, that was one of those incidents that stuck in my head forever. I just, you know, it was our own department that, you know, was you know our own Lincoln County Sheriff's Department, and they never, I, we just never knew why they never called an actual investigator to come out. Yeah, I've just a couple of people that have looked at the police report have sort of been like shaking their head at yeah. why more wasn't done at the time. Yeah. Well, we thought that, too, and we didn't question Leroy at the time or, or Alan. They just, everyone just assumes 
people are telling the truth, you know, it's like a handshake out here. Yeah. You know, everyone trusts to a certain point. I knew of Mike, you know, because he leased people's land to hunt on. Yeah. So I knew that from way back when. I didn't know him, like, personally, never hung out with him, but when we got the page to his place, we knew who he was and where we were going. Right. Hi, is this Connie? Yes, it is. Hi, Connie. It's Kevin Vaughn at Nine News in Denver. Yeah. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? Good. I hope I'm not getting you at a bad time. No, it's fine. Um, I talked to Michelle Leonard yesterday, and she mentioned that you responded also as a, I guess, as a victim's advocate. That's correct. I was in the house with the children. And the sheriff and the other sheriff stayed outside. I think the kids stayed in the house, and we watched cartoons, and, and um, you know, I tried to keep them busy in the house and not outside. And I just, I wondered, um, I wondered if there's much that stands out about it in your mind after these years. I mean, the obvious question that we're looking at is, is whether it really happened the way it was reported to have happened. You know, um, I think as in anything, you have your suspicions. I think my husband and I were both there, and we both questioned it, but, um, you know, we have no proof of anything. Right. We have no so, so our feelings and our suspicions are, are, are ours. And we have nothing, nothing to base anything on except a gut feeling. Right. I went first. I went first as an EMT in my own vehicle. Uh huh. And when I got there, it, my services in that aspect weren't needed. Right. And so then I changed hats and was with the children. Um. And so. You know, I wasn't outside, but but with my first look around, uh huh, I, I was an uneasy. I had an uneasy feeling. Let's put it that way. I don't. I I question that it happened the way they said it happened. Uh huh. Very much. For that to be an accident. We really questioned it, uh, and I guess that's where our first suspicions started. Yeah. Was that, um, yeah, you got to know what you're doing. I, I think I, to be an accident, uh, I just, we just simply doubted that. So, but other than our suspicions, that's all I have to base it on. Yeah. that in my own heart that if, if it was something different than, than what it was reported to be and that, that child was innocent, he needs to know. Yeah. He has, he has lived with something horrible ever since then. And he needs to know the truth. One way or another, he needs to know the absolute truth. It was... Um, traumatic for everybody. Yeah, I'm sure. Because stuff like that doesn't happen out here. Well, it's oh. an awful thing. Whatever happened, it's an awful thing.
it, it was an awful thing, no matter what happened or how it happened, it was a horrible, horrible thing. Okay, thank you. Good luck. Uh-huh, bye. We've been noticing something as we reach out to more and more people connected to the death of Jill Wells. Memories come to them instantaneously, as if the whole tragedy hasn't faded away, as if there's always been an inkling in the back of the mind of something to question. Did anything about it seem suspicious or unusual at the time? Well, that shot was dead center, you know what I'm saying? Uh-huh. What can I say? The shot was well placed. Again and again we have heard their suspicions, that Tanner was not responsible, that perhaps Mike not only shot Jill, but maybe the shooting was more than an accident, that the truth may never be known because the original investigation was based on the assumption that Tanner was to blame. And they didn't even have him in for questioning later on, did they? I mean, they didn't. Next time on Blame. Fingerprints? Did they get fingerprints? We take all of the evidence we've uncovered about Jill Wells' death. Could that young actually do that? The shoddy investigation. Somebody's taken away from their two sons, and there's no autopsy. That's how much life insurance <gasps> she applied for. Oh my gosh. Mm -hmm. I find that troubling. Rush. Please rush. And the revealing information that has so many questioning the story that six-year-old Tanner Wells was to blame. Tanner really did it. I went wanted to hold his hand and hug him and kiss him and not be on the phone with these guys. There's no way. This is so sad. Blame is a production of KUSA-TV, Nine News, and Tegna Media. Nicole Vapp is executive producer. Anna Houston is the producer and editor, and I'm investigative reporter Kevin Vaughn. Find photographs, police reports, maps, and other evidence on 9news.com slash blame.